Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, there are a number of commandments um, throughout Scripture, a number of declarations, a number of commands, um, and they're all throughout Scripture. And, of course, there's always the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, and we all know those, right? Right? So let's all recite them together this morning. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Am I the only one talking here? You don't know the Ten Commandments? Okay, let's try this one. Do you know the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, well, you got one right. Anybody want to know what is the most repeated commandment throughout Scripture? Any guesses? I'll give you a hint. Do not be afraid. It is the most repeated command all throughout Scripture. In fact, that command is given 366 times. Yeah. Lloyd John Ogilvy said that means there's one there for every day of the year, including leap year. <laughs> Why? Why are we told so often, do not be afraid, fear not, let not your hearts be troubled? Why? I think it's because we do a lot of fearing. (laughs) And it comes in many forms. Anxiety, apprehension, worry, terror, panic, dread. It's got all kinds of forms, all kinds of manifestations, but it's basically the same thing. It's fear. Now, there is a healthy fear. Fear has a purpose, okay? Fear, healthy fear, alerts us to danger so that we can take decisive action to get to safety, okay? It's good to be afraid sometimes. There are some things we ought to be afraid of so we can take the action to get to safety and not be put in harm. But there's also unhealthy fear. And unhealthy fear is that thing that overwhelms us and paralyzes us. And you may have laughed at the goats fainting, okay, on the stage. But you know that feeling deep inside sometimes, Maybe not on the outside, but deep inside. That's what it feels like. Just stiffen up. I believe, I believe one of the reasons God says so often to us, do not be afraid, is because I think fear may be the greatest obstacle that we have to faith. It keeps us from trusting. It keeps us from obeying. It keeps us from experiencing the life that God has for us. It keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do because we're afraid. So that's why we're doing this series. It's an important topic because every one of us in this room, I can guarantee at one time or another, has dealt with some kind of fear, some kind of worry, some kind of dread. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, we're going to look at that for the next month or so. And we're going to start with what may be the greatest fear of all. And I think it's really underlying a lot of the other fears. It is the fear of death. And Jesus addressed this one very directly with his apostles. John chapter 14, if you want to follow along, we're going to start reading in chapter uh, 14, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Skip down to verse 5. Thomas says to him, Lord, 
We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then a little bit further down, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am with my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then he closes with these words. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus talks about death and life and particularly not being afraid of it. And there's some very, very clear things that he wants us to understand. His words given to his disciples 2,000 years ago are the words that still ring in our own hearts. How do I overcome this fear of death? How do I move forward with my life in faith? And Jesus said there's some very, very simple things you need to understand. The first thing is this. Death is inevitable. It is inevitable, but it is not the final word. Yes, it's true. Every one of us will die someday. You will die. I will die. We all will. It's unavoidable. We try not to think about it. We don't like to talk about it a whole lot, but when it comes down to it, we spend an awful lot of money when it happens. <laughs> Have you ever priced a funeral? I, I, I found this this week. It's a website. This is Honest Truth. I, I'm just gonna, we're going to put these up on the, on the screen for you. There is a company that does designer caskets. And if you've been in the military, there is the Air Force casket. If you are a police officer, there is the police officer casket. They even go not just by your occupation, if you have a particular hobby. For those of you who are NASCAR fans, they have a NASCAR casket. I'm not making this stuff up. If you are a fisherman, they got a gone fishing casket. (laughs) Big mouth bass right there on the side. If you're very religious, they have the Lord's Supper casket. And for those of you who are just like really not sure about this whole thing and not taking any chances, the return to sender casket. I am serious. Yeah. Look it up. Artcaskets.com. Check it out. Spend an awful lot of money on it. And with all the scientific advancements and medical advancements, we might be able to postpone or delay its happening. In fact, you may remember about 2003, I think it was, Ted Williams, famous baseball player, died. And he had put in his will, he wanted to be cryogenically frozen. So for the last five years, Ted Williams' body has been in deep freeze in Prescott, Arizona. Why? Why? Because we are afraid of this thing called death. And we will do anything we possibly can to avoid it, postpone it, delay it, get away from it. But Jesus said, it's inevitable. Every one of us are going to die. But the good news is, death does not have to be the final word. Jesus promised us something more. 
John 13, 36, before he gets into this whole thing, he says these words to them, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. That's a promise. He is preparing his disciples on the eve of his own death. He is preparing them and he's saying, you're not going to be able to go where I'm going now, but you will later. You will later. He is talking about his own death, his impending death, and the resurrection that's about to happen. And it's all for a purpose. It's all for a purpose. And that's why he goes on and says in chapter 14, in my father's house are many rooms. Many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Many rooms. Many rooms. In the back of our auditorium, we have a sign. It says maximum occupancy. There's a maximum occupancy for every public room. You got to put it up there. It's got to be posted. It's the code. It's the law. Jesus said, in my father's house, there is no maximum occupancy sign. It is wide open. It is wide open. And if that weren't true, I would have told you. There are all kinds of rooms. There are many places in my father's house. And in fact, he said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There's many rooms. But I care about you as an individual. You matter to me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what's striking in this all to me is that Jesus does not talk about heaven as some ethereal, mystical, you know, floating on clouds, playing a harp. I, don't, I, don't, I have no desire to learn to play a harp. No desire whatsoever. If that's what heaven is, I don't want to go there. He says, no, it's, that's not what it is. He said, this is so real. This is so solid. This is so concrete, if you could pardon the pun, that I want you to think about it as more of a reality than what you experience here on this earth. There is a house and a room for you. And it's real. It's real. And it's more real and more solid than anything you experience in this life. And then he goes and he promises, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. We're all going to die. It's inevitable. The promise is that death is not the final word. Jesus changes our final outcome or as Philip Yancey puts it in the Jesus I Never Know, his book, he says, God will not let death win. <laughs> That's good news. That's good news. And in the face of death, in the face of death, Jesus turns around and he says, here's a way to life. In the face of death, he offers the way to life. The disciples are understandably confused. They don't know what's going on here. You know, this is, you know, we got 2,000 years history later, okay? But they have no clue what he's talking about. It doesn't make sense. They're, they're very, very confused about this whole thing. And so Thomas speaks up, and he says the one thing that all the other disciples want to say, but nobody wants to say it. But Thomas, I appreciate Thomas. I, you know, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. You know, he's always called Doubting Thomas. Doubting and Thomas. Those two words always go together. But I am so glad that Thomas asks the questions that nobody else will ask. Because he asked the question, he got the answer. He says, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? That's an important question. That is a really important question. He wants to know. He wants to be sure. If there is a life beyond this one, then how do we get in on it? How do we get into this promise that you've talked about? How can it become mine? 
He wants to know, and he wants to be sure. And it goes back to that idea of healthy fear. See, a healthy fear alerts us to danger so that we would take the action to move to safety. And Thomas is asking the question, how do I get to safety? How do I get to safety? It's a healthy fear if it moves you to act. And I know a lot of people that their religion is foxhole religion. And that's okay for a start. And there's a lot of people that want to trust in Jesus just because they don't want to go to hell. And that's okay for a start. That's a healthy fear. But Jesus said, no, it's not just that. The answer, the answer isn't religion. The answer is not an eightfold path. The answer is not a series of reincarnations. Jesus says there's one answer. There is one answer. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold. And Jesus is crystal clear on this. He is not, he is unequivocal. This is the truth, folks. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There is only one life with God. And it's through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we in the United States, we have a hard time with that one because we think we ought to get a vote on this. I mean, you know, that's, that doesn't pass any opinion polls. That'll never fly with the electorate. We want to vote. We think we got a choice in this. We think we got a decision. We think we get to determine the way. He says, no, there's one way. One way. One way through me. Wasn't that exclusive? How can one man claim to have such truth, to make such a bold, unequivocal statement? Isn't that exclusive? I mean, isn't that just keeping people out? No, remember what he said? It's a big house. He says, it's a huge house. There are all kinds of rooms, but there's only one pathway that leads to the door. There are room, rooms for everybody who wants to, but you got to come in through the one door that's open. There's no back door. There's no side door. There are no windows that you can pry the screens off and sneak in. There's only one way. And I say that, and I make that point because sometimes get, people get really uneasy about that. Because, I mean, after all, aren't all religions the same? I mean, they, they all lead to the same end. They're all different paths, but they all get to the same place. Jesus does not leave that option available. He does not. book was written a few years back called Habits of the Heart. It's actually a lot of research that was done about individualism and commitment in the, in the American life. And it's just the whole American approach to religion. And a lot of research, and they talked and interviewed a lot of people. And one of the pr- people that they interviewed was a la- lady named Sheila Larson. Let me read to you what they write. Sheila Larson is a young nurse who has received a good deal of therapy and who describes her faith as Sheilaism. I believe in God, but I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, just my own little voice. It's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess take care of each other. I think that he would want us to take care of each other. Now, if your God is Sheila, you might want to look somewhere else. This is what John Ortberg comments about this. Part of the problem, part of the problem with generic religion is this. If there is a God, 
that God would want to be known. Generic religion doesn't save anybody. It doesn't revive and redeem anybody. What happens in generic religion is people get, used, get, used, get, people get to use it to pursue the agendas they already have. I think one of the reasons why generic religion lend, tends to be so popular is it rarely confronts people with the profound brokenness that is the human condition, which I think is a reality. The Bible calls that brokenness sin. Generic religion almost never talks about that. Doesn't have to, it doesn't have much of a prophetic edge to it. And we kind of like that because we don't want to have to think about ourselves in such distressing ways. Jesus said, there's a brokenness of the human condition. And there's only one way to undo that. I am that way. You can believe in religion a la carte. <laughs> but there is no assurance there. There is no assurance there. And you can try trusting in your own best efforts and all of your good works, but who in the world is ever going to be there to say, okay, that's enough. You've done enough good. Now you get to come in. There's no assurance there. You say, you want to be sure about your eternal destiny? There is only one way. Because only Jesus, only Jesus, of all religious leaders, of all founders of any religion in this world, only Jesus claimed equality with God the Father. And only Jesus claimed to live a totally sinless life. And only Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And only Jesus was resurrected so we could have this new life. Only Jesus makes that claim. No one else does. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to say, he is the only way. Because that's what he said. There's no other options. You could choose other options. But don't lump Jesus in there and say, well, he's just another way. Because he doesn't leave that option open. No, it's only one way. In fact, he went so far as to say this. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's where the assurance comes. That's how you face death without fear. Because you are sure there is an eternity for you. But that doesn't end where Jesus talked about this. Okay? We like, that sounds really, really good. And yeah, oh yeah, I want to be sure of that. I, mean, I want to get in on that. But he doesn't leave it there. That's what the question they asked. But he said, one more thing. You know, kind of like Columbo. You know, he's walking up the One more. Oh, just one more thing. <laughs> he goes on and he says this. He says that the promise of a life beyond impacts our life here and now. Our promise of the life beyond impacts our life here and now. Back in the early 1900s, there was an evangelist named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a very, very famous, famous evangelist. He was kind of one of the first guys that really did this kind of crusade thing. And, and one of the things that Billy Sunday would often say, he would say things like, he would say, the best thing, the best thing that could possibly happen is that you would receive Jesus tonight, walk out the store, get hit by a trolley car, and get killed so you'll go to heaven. So the best thing would be that you would accept Jesus Christ and come down with typhoid or, or pneumonia and you would die so you would be sure you would get to heaven. And here's the problem with that. That all too often, that's the way we think of faith. We think of our faith as a ticket to heaven. If we can just satisfy the minimum entry requirements. That's it. That's it. Jesus said, no, no. That's not it. He says, you need to understand, eternal life is not a destination. 
See, that's what Thomas is asking. We don't know where you're going. Where's the end of this? Where does it all lead to? You said it's not, about the, it's not about the destination. It's about the path right now. I am the way. It's in me. It is not a destination. It is a here and now relationship. And that's why Jesus went on and said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here and now, life with God, and every day is a gift. Because I am with you. I am with you. And each and every day is an opportunity to learn and to grow and to discover this new life. And if your faith is something that you just do on Sunday mornings and has no impact on the rest of your life, you have missed the point. And if your faith is just a ticket to try and get into heaven or it's fire insurance because you don't want to go to hell, you have missed the point. Because the point is life. That's what Jesus said. It's life. Life eternal. But it begins here and now. Just last Sunday, because we were talking about this last Sunday, the importance of sharing our faith with others so they could enter into this life. And I was talking with somebody after one of the services out in the hallway, and they said, you know, but I have been a believer. I've been a Christ follower for you know, probably all my whole life. I, I was like maybe five, six years old when I first gave my life to Jesus. And, and, and I know someone on their deathbed, they turned and repented and gave their life to Christ. That just doesn't seem fair. I mean, look at, I went through all of this all my life, and then they get at the last minute, and they still get in the same way that I do. But see, that reveals the problem. The problem is we're thinking, Oh, I got to deal with all this stuff and I got to obey and I got to follow God. And, you know, and he gets to go and have fun and do whatever he wants and he dies and goes to heaven saying that I do. You've missed the point. Because the point is life. It is life with Christ. And I said, but you know what? They went through all of their life not knowing the comfort and the peace and the strength and the assurance that you had. They dealt with their whole life on their own. I can't think of a more miserable way to live. Because it's not about just getting into heaven. It's about life here and now. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of God himself indwells us for comfort, for strength, for the changes that need to take place in life. We don't do it on our own anymore. That's the promise Jesus gave. He said it's life here and now. It is life by the Spirit and the Spirit of God himself. In fact, he goes on. He goes on. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. The fullness of God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, living in every one of us. That's it. That's the life that he promised. And he says, if you will do that, we will come to him and make our home with him. That word, you might circle the word home because that word home is the very same word that he started with at the beginning for room. And the literal, literal it doesn't translate real well in English, but the literal translation is dwelling place. He says, my father has a house with all kinds of dwelling places. And I'm going there to prepare one for you. And not only that, I will come back for you. But in the meantime, if you will obey me, if you will follow me, if you will take on my life, if you will take on the life of faith that I am giving to you, I will come into you. And my Father will come. And we will make our dwelling in you. That's living. That is life. 
And I think the very best thing that could happen to us is not that I would get saved and go out and get hit by a streetcar. I think the very best thing that could happen is that I would enter into this life so fully and grab hold of it so strongly that death just seems like the ultimate fulfillment of all that I have lived my life for. That is the best thing that could happen to you. What does this life look like? What is it? How does he describe it? Well, Jesus defined it. Chapter before, 13, 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. What does this life look like? It is a life of obedience. It is a life of faith. It is a life of trust. It is a life of ongoing and growing love. Growing in obedient love. Growing in our understanding of love. And bringing all of that to bear to every aspect of my life. To my relationships. To my career. To my finances. To my own struggles with habits. Live in my love. Live obediently in my love. That's the commandment. And every day is a chance to grow and discover and take new steps of faith because that's the answer to fear. It's faith. Any of you have kids? You probably did this. We did it with our kids. We were very, very young. We wanted them to learn how to swim. And so, you know, one of the things we'd do, we took them to swimming lessons and all that, and then we'd go on vacation, we'd stay at the hotel with the pool, and we'd help practice with the kids. And one of the things we did with the kids, I would put, like, my daughter up on the edge of the pool, and I'd say, okay, now jump to me. Jump to Daddy. You did it? Anybody else do this? Okay, yeah, I've seen this played out hundreds of times in every swimming pool I've ever been to. Jump, jump to Daddy. And she stands on the edge, and there are two things in her mind. Fear or trust. Fear or trust. I look at the water, I'm afraid. It's cold. I don't know if I can swim. So she stands on the edge of the pool, and for a moment, she makes a decision. Fear or trust? Fear or trust? I have a choice. I stand on the edge. What will I choose? And here's the deal. If you keep standing on the edge or step back from it from fear, you will never know. You will never know the loving embrace of a faithful Heavenly Father that catches you and holds you in His arms. And every one of us had that choice. And we have that choice every day. Every day we are faced with a situation and we stand on the edge of the pool, fear or trust. Fear or trust. And we have the choice to make about it. In every one of our fears, can I trust God with this? And here's the thing. If you never take the jump, you never experience the loving embrace and the catch of your Heavenly Father. But if you do, if you make that jump, and you feel His arms catch you, and hold you tight. It makes it just a little bit easier to jump the next time. And that's what this whole life is about. It's not about just getting into heaven. It is a life of learning to trust my heavenly Father who cares so much and loves so much that he sent his one and only son
to bear the full brunt of my sin and my darkness and my junk so that I could be free and forgiven and I could jump into his loving embrace. So Jesus says, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace. Shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, full trust, comfort, assurance. All in that one little word. My peace I give you. Not like the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not, do not be afraid. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.